Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. So have you enjoyed this series on the Summer of Wisdom? I have enjoyed this series as we study God's Word. You know, God's Word really is our owner's manual for our lives, right? And when I'm counseling people, I, I, I recommend a lot of resources for marriages. I've got marriage resources and for people trying to break addiction. I've got resources and books and all those things. But can I tell you, the greatest resource we have is the Word of God. The greatest resource we have for our lives comes back to, yes, please, Pastor John, thank you, comes back to God's word. Listen, God created us and God knows what's best for us. Amen. So today we want to continue in our study on the summer of wisdom. We want to go to the book of Proverbs. We want to learn from Solomon, who the Bible says, other than Jesus, was the wisest man that ever walked on the face of the earth. And I want to talk to you about the beginning of wisdom. I want to talk to you about the beginning of wisdom. It means once you go to the beginning, you got to go to the beginning. And if you don't get the beginning right, then there's a chance you won't get anything else right as it pertains to applying wisdom to your life because it's the beginning. So many times uh, when we're dealing with something, if we'll go back to the beginning, it'll help us fix our problem today, right? So when I'm counseling couples and they're having marriage problems, I, I do an exercise at times, not always, but I do an exercise where I say, I want you both to write down the beginning of your relationship. I want you to write down about how you met and what you thought about that person when you met them and walk me through the beginning of your relationship. And I have them bring them both back and then I have them read them to each other. And it's amazing how when they begin to remind themselves about the beginning of their relationship, All of a sudden, many times it puts things in perspective and helps them begin to fix problems that they're dealing with today. Um, When Tara and I bought our house, when we were uh, when we were looking at our house 13 years ago, we were walking through the house and we noticed some of the doors were sticking. And the realtor obviously wanted to sell the house. So she said, oh, that just those doors just need to be adjusted Well, once we bought the house and we tried to adjust the doors, we realized it had nothing to do with the doors, it had everything to do with the foundation, right? The beginning point was out of order, so we didn't focus on the doors, we hired a company to come and fix the foundation. So, so many times you got to go back to the beginning, and Solomon tells us that if we want wisdom, he tells us what the beginning step is, We know that when we go back to the beginning of creation, that God created Adam and Eve and put them in this beautiful garden and said that they could do whatever they wanted to do except for one thing. They could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And we know 
we know what they did because we all live with the consequences of it, right? Now, I don't know about you, but there are times when I thought, if I were Adam in that garden, I'd have done things different. But then I think about all the dumb decisions I've made, right? And I think, I probably, I don't know if I would have done them different, right? But when we go to the beginning, it helps us see uh, how to fix kind of where we are. And when you look at Adam and Eve in the garden and you go, why did they sin? Why did they choose to do what God told them not to do? It wasn't because they didn't know God, because they walked with God daily. I don't even think it was because they didn't love God. It wasn't because they didn't hear from God. The Bible says that God spoke to them every single day. I believe it was because they chose not to live in the fear of God. Because I'll show you just a moment in scripture where Solomon says the beginning of wisdom is to walk in the fear of the Lord. And I think that many times we go our own way and choose our own thing because we don't walk in the fear of God. Think about the beginning of your relationship with Christ. If we sat here and we, and we talked about when we came to Christ and we, the zeal that we had, we wanted to tell everybody about Jesus, right? We were so excited. We didn't want to miss church for anything. And then the years go by and all of a sudden we go from zealous to kind of callous, right? And we become very, very casual in our faith and and it's no big deal to miss church and and we've lost some of that zeal. And I think that many times what happens is we start out with the fear of God, but because we become casual in our relationship with God, we lose that fear. Think about Adam and Eve. Because they didn't live in the fear of God, they gave more weight to the voice of the serpent than they did to the source of life itself. They gave more credence to the father of lies instead of the father of heaven because they lost their fear of God. So Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, we know that there's healthy fear and then there's unhealthy fear, right? So when we were raising our kids and they were little, you know, we made sure we told them, don't go by the road, right? If we're not around, don't go by the pool. We didn't have a pool, but that just means if we were at one of y'all's houses, one of you rich people's houses, and y'all had a pool. Don't go, go by the pool, right? We weren't trying to keep them from something good. What we were instilling them is in them is, is that there's some boundaries that you don't want to cross because on the other side of there, there's harm and danger. And so we were instilling in them a healthy fear of what was beyond that. And God does the same thing with us. When we go to the word of God, God sets some boundaries in place, not to keep us from something good, but to keep us from destruction. God puts boundaries in place, commandments in place so that we can walk in a healthy relationship with him and not choose 
what is beyond those guardrails. So God puts guardrails in place. Think about guardrails. If you're driving down the highway and there's a guardrail, well, there's no danger right there at the guardrail. The, the danger is beyond it, right? And what God is trying to do is to keep us in a place where we walk and operate in, in a holy, healthy fear of him so that we don't live out the consequences of sin. You can't walk in wisdom without a foundation of a healthy fear of God. You need to understand. I need to understand. And we need to remind ourselves that God is for us and God wants good for us. Amen. Listen, God is for us and God wants good for us. And when we talk about fear, we're not talking about some scary fear, right? I'm, I'm, I don't like scary movies, right? I've never liked scary movies. and I'm kind of a sissy when it comes to that, right? All my friends in high school wanted to watch scary movies, not me. That was not for me. So we're talking about that kind of fear. We're talking about a healthy fear that causes us to reverence God. And when we, constant, when we understand who God is versus who we are and the fact that he wants a relationship with us, Right. The fact that he sent his son to die for us, that should cause us to stand in awe of who he is. And so it's a healthy fear. It's a reverence. It's a reverence for who God is. And so God puts these boundaries in place. God puts these guardrails in place because he wants to keep us safe. Think about to when you were a kid. I, I don't know about how it was when you were a kid, but. You know, there were times when I had opportunities to do something. My friends would call me to do something and it was something that was not good. And I would say, I can't do that because if my daddy finds out, he's going to kill me. Right. Back in those days, we didn't have time out. Time out was just the amount of time it took him to get the belt out of the closet and get to you in the bedroom. That was the only time out you had. Right. And so. I remember one time, how many of you had some good teachers when you were in school? We all had some good teachers, right? How many of you had some not so good teachers? So I'm ashamed to say what I'm about to say, okay? So I'm glad my kids aren't here today. So when I was in high school, we had this teacher and she was not a good teacher. I'm telling you, I don't think I ever saw her smile ever, ever, ever. And one day, two of my friends called me and said, hey, we're going egg Miss so-and-so's car tonight. Do you want to come with us? And I said, absolutely not, because my daddy would kill me. But they kept on and they kept on. And like Adam in the garden, I made the wrong choice. Right. And I went and we egged that lady's car and we got caught. We got caught, and I remember my mom and dad calling me in, sitting me down, and instead of beating me, right, or whipping me, whatever, my dad looked at me and said, son, I am so disappointed in you. I thought you had more in you than this. And at that point in time, I'm like, would you just whip me and get this over with? Like he drug out the torture, right? He talked about how your grandparents lived to leave a good name and now you've tarnished our name. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm sorry I did what I did. Listen, 
it wasn't about them killing me. It was about my actions disappointed them because they wanted more from me than that. They believed I had more in me than that. And so it is with God. Listen, God's not shocked when we mess up. He just wants better for us than that. He just wants more for us than that. And we often think about God as kind of a cosmic killjoy, right? God's trying to keep us from something when the truth is the biggest thing he's trying to keep us from is the consequences of sin and separation from him. That's what really God is trying to protect us from. And and why is sin such a big deal to God? Well, sin is a big deal to God because it ruined the pleasure and the plan that God had for all of us, all of mankind, including us. It separated God from his greatest creation. It brought fear, guilt and shame. Can I tell you, sin works against the plans of God for us. You were, we were never meant to die. We've done so many funerals in the last two months in Lafayette. It's unbelievable. Every single week, we've dealt with a, an overdose death. Every single week. And it's just such a picture of what God wanted to keep us from. When you've got a, a 10-year-old child crying because her father just died of an overdose. Literally crying at the casket. It's just a picture. God doesn't want us to sin because he knows the consequences of it. And so many times, because we don't walk in a fear of God, we forget about those things. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, right? And so sin's a big deal to God because it literally changed the course of what God, the, the, the desire that God had for us, that we would not live in fear, shame, and guilt, but that we would live in peace, and ultimately we wouldn't die. God never intended us to go to your funeral. God never, God's plan was never us to attend your memorial service. The plan of God is that we would, we would resist sin and that we would live forever with him. Sin brought irreversible pain into this world and to stop the utter destruction of mankind to stop the utter destruction of the world it would cost God his son and it would cost Christ his life here on earth sin separated us from God and so God had to send an atonement or a payment for our sin sin killed the first Adam there in the garden, but Jesus, who's referred to as the second Adam or God's second plan, had to die in order to redeem us from our sin. So why does God hate sin so much? I don't know about you, but I have a friend of mine whose teenager died because of a drunk driver. And can I tell you, my friend who lost his son Due to drunk driving, a drunk driving accident, when he hears of somebody drinking and driving, it's no laughing matter to him. He takes it serious because it cost him something, right? It cost him something. And that's why God takes sin so seriously, because it cost him something. And listen, let's be honest. We're great at pointing out everybody else's sin. 
But we're not always great about being honest about our own. I heard a story recently about an 18-year-old boy on his high school graduation night who after graduation started drinking, went out driving, got in an accident, and was killed. His mother and father made it their mission to find out who sold their son, their underage son, alcohol. Literally, it became their driving force to somehow bring something good out of this death. They would, be, they would go into that town. They'd send minors in to buy alcohol. And as soon as if they, they would sell them alcohol, they would call the police and get their liquor license revoked. I mean, it became their mission. About a month or two after their son died, one night the dad was home alone and he reached into his liquor cabinet to get a drink. And when he opened the door of the liquor cabinet, a piece of paper fell to the floor. He picked up that piece of paper and the note said, Dad, I didn't ask your permission because I knew you would tell me no, but I just wanted to celebrate graduation, so I took a bottle. I hope you're not mad. And in that moment, he realized His enemy was not at a convenience store. His enemy was right there in himself. Listen, it might have been Adam's sin that killed the first Adam, but it was our sin that killed Christ on the cross. Amen? And I believe that as a culture, we've lost the fear of God. We've become too casual in our relationship with God. So what is the fear of the Lord? Well, Proverbs 18, I'm sorry, Proverbs 8, 13 says, wisdom pours into you when you begin to hate every form of evil in your life, for that's what worship and fearing God is all about. Let me just read that again. Think about this. Wisdom pours into you when you begin to hate every form of evil in your life, for that's what worship and fearing God is all about. Listen. To fear God is to hate what God hates, which is sin. The fear of God in our life is not measured by our attitude toward toward God. The fear of God in our lives is measured by our attitude toward sin. John Maxwell said it this way. The way you do it is the way you view it. In other words, saying if you hate sin, it will show in the way you live. Listen, when we walk in the fear of God, when we begin to hate sin like God hates sin, all of a sudden our lives will look very, very different. The Puritan preacher John Owens said it this way, if you don't kill sin, eventually it will kill you. And you simply have an understanding that God is wants good for you, that God is good and he is for you and that sin will rob you from a relationship with him. And so you run from what God says to run from and you embrace God because that is what we really need in order to walk in the fear of the Lord. So let me just give you three thoughts today. Three measurements whether or not you're walking in the fear of the Lord that we see there in Scripture. Number one, when you're walking in the fear of the Lord, there is obedience to God. Obedience to God. So when we were raising our children, we taught them 
obedience. Let me tell you, if you have young children, let me just give you a little bit of parental wisdom. So, you know, I know your kids are cute, but your kids are bad. Right? We're all born with a sin nature. And as cute as they are, if we go to the nursery right now and we look at all those little cuties, they're fighting for toys. They're hollering no, right? They're hitting each other. Why? Because obedience doesn't just come natural to us. And so understanding that we didn't command obedience from our children, we taught obedience to our children. So we had a saying in our house when it came to obedience when our children were little, And that was that you obey the first time, you obey every time, you obey all the way, and you do it with a happy heart. The happy heart thing really is the hardest, right? Because you got to put a smile on your face and fake your way through it, right? But we would teach our children that, listen, when I tell you to do something, and I have to tell you the second and third time, that's not obedience, that's disobedience, Right. When I tell you to do something and then you do it today, but you don't do it tomorrow, that's disobedience. When I tell you to clean your room, but I go in and the bed's not made, but everything else is done. Guess what? Partial obedience is what? Disobedience. And then with a happy heart. Can I tell you why we taught our children that? We taught our children obedience. Because as they grow up, we want them to be a blessing to people, not a burden to people. Today, when we go to a parent-teacher conference this past year, when we went to parent-teacher conference, Gabby, my oldest, her teacher said this to us. If I, had a, if I had a room full of Gabbies, my job would be so much easier. She's just so obedient. My 13-year-old's teacher, she's kind of canai like me, right? But she still said, she said, I'm just telling you, Madeline is just a blessing. And she's, I love having her in our class. And we just walk away going, check, it paid off. But can I just tell you, we didn't just do that for junior high and high school. We did that because one day they're going to work for an employer. And that employer is going to ask them to do things that they may not do. I'm not talking about anything wrong. I'm just talking about things that they're not comfortable doing or doesn't come easy for them. And we want them to remember that you obey the first time. Every time, all the way, and with a happy heart, because it's going to benefit you in the end. But can I tell you the biggest reason we taught them that? Is because one day, God may call one of them to the mission field. God may call one of them to ministry. And we want them to be able to look at God and obey the first time, every time, all the way with a happy heart. And simply say, yes, God, I trust you because I know you want good for me. Right? And the Bible says that when we obey God, or when we fear the Lord, obedience will be a part of our lives. Listen, many people want to hear from God, but they're not really willing to do what he says. God wants to bring us to a place where what he tells us to do is not nearly as important in our life as us understanding who he is. Think about Abraham and Isaac. You know the story. Abraham and Sarah are told they couldn't have children. And then they have Isaac. Think about that. I know for Tara and I, when Tara and I got married, the doctors told us that we would never have children. 
We would never have children. We had done all the things that we could do. And her, the doctor literally sat us down one day and said, there's nothing else you can do. Probably six months later, we're sitting in a service like this. And it's not even a church service. It's a leadership type conference. And the guy teaching leadership skills stops in the middle of a session. And he goes, there's someone right here in this session, in this section who wants to have a child. And you've been told that you'll never have children. We raised our hand. He said, come up front. We came up front. He prayed a prayer over us. I got to be honest. Okay, this is my cynical side. The prayer was so easy. I went back to my seat. I sat down and I thought to myself, well, that's not going to work. Four months later, we were pregnant. I wasn't, but she was. I just looked it, right? Four months later. And then we had Gabby. And 15 months later, we had Madeline. And I'm just telling you, being told that you wouldn't, and now you're holding what they said you couldn't have, man, you just cherish it all the more. And here Abraham is, he was told, or they they could not have children, they were old, and all of a sudden now he has Isaac. It is the fulfillment of God's promise to him. And think about how they must have cherished Isaac until the day when God says, Take him to the mountain and sacrifice him. We don't get to see his face. We don't get to see his posture. We don't get to see his response. Other than obedience. And the Bible says he literally takes Isaac one day to the mountain. And he builds an altar. And he puts Isaac on the altar. Because he knew this. God has fulfilled every promise he's ever given to me. God is good and God is my provider and God is going to figure this out. And all I have to do is obey. And here it is. Genesis chapter 12, verse 22, as Isaac is literally about to, Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac and says, the angel shows up and says, don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me, even your son, your only son. Can I just tell you, our obedience to to God is really the true measurement of our fear of God. So when you fear the Lord, you're going to obey God. The second thing is this, that when you walk in the fear of the Lord, there is more fear of God than there is fear of man. You're going to feel fear God more than you're going to fear men. Now, let me just be honest. This is kind of tough for me because I deal with some insecurity. And so I, I regularly wonder what people think about me and are concerned about what people think about me. Listen, if I preach a sermon and a hundred people come and tell me it was a great sermon, which that hasn't really happened. But if, if that would happen and one person come now, this has happened when one person comes and says, man, that's not the greatest sermon I've ever heard. Guess what? I don't leave thinking about the hundred praises. I leave thinking about the one the, after I cast the devil out of him. Right? So there are times when I've, this is my struggle. This is where I wrestle. But we've got to ask ourselves, are we more worried about God's reaction to us? Or are we more worried about other people's reaction to us? And maybe you're here today and you go, that's not my struggle. Well, I applaud you. But I think the truth is, many times, most of us are concerned, overly concerned about what people think. 
Listen to Proverbs 29, 25. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Did you hear what he said? The fear of man, it's a snare. It's a, it's a trap. And when we're caught in a trap, it doesn't allow us to grow. It doesn't allow us to move. It holds us back. It holds us down. But think about this. If the fear of man is a trap, then certainly the fear of God brings freedom. Amen? If the fear of man holds us down, then the fear of God brings freedom into our lives. And you got to remember, the Bible says that Jesus, that Jesus came to set us free. It is for freedom that Christ came, that we would walk in freedom. The fear of God says the greatest desire is God's smile upon my life, even if other people don't agree with him. Can I tell you, in the end, what matters most is what God says about us, right? What matters most is what God thinks about us. Because can I remind us that the Bible says it is God who paves the way for us. Because walking in the fear of God keeps me more concerned about how God sees me than how others see me. And then lastly, when there's the fear of God, there's obedience to God. We fear God more than man. And then thirdly, when we walk in the fear of the Lord, there's friendship with God. Psalm 25 verse 14 says this, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenants. Interesting. He didn't say the friendship is for those who love him, for those who tithe to him. No, he simply said he is friends with those who fear him. And again, remember, it's a healthy fear. It's a healthy, reverent fear of God. Walking in the fear of the Lord pulls us closer to God. God says, when you walk in the fear of the Lord, I can pull you close and I can reveal more of myself because I trust you. You know how it is. There are people in your inner circle who know much more about you than the person that you meet at the grocery store, right? Why? Because you trust them. Because they're, you're close to them. And when we walk in the fear of God, when we walk close to God, the Bible says that he will share his secrets with us. The most foolproof way to live a life of wisdom is to walk in the fear of the Lord. And here's the deal. Solomon says that there are benefits to walking in the fear of the Lord. Don't you know that's what God, when you read God's word, you see over and over again a, prom, or a command and then it comes with a promise, right? Give and it will be given back to you. Humble yourself and then I will exalt you. Right? The Bible says obedience, when we walk in obedience, then God brings the blessing. Here's the, here are the blessings when we walk in the fear of the Lord. Let me read this passage from Proverbs, 20, uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. It says, For if you keep seeking it like a man would seek for sterling silver, searching in hidden places for treasured, cherish, for cherished treasured, treasure, then you will discover the fear of the Lord. And find the true knowledge of God. Wisdom is a gift from a generous God. And every word he speaks is full of revelation and becomes a fountain of understanding within you. For the Lord has a hidden storehouse of wisdom made accessible to his godly ones. 
Listen to this. He becomes your personal bodyguard as you follow his ways, protecting and guarding you as you choose what is right. You hear what he said? He said that when we seek out wisdom like a treasure, that God literally becomes your bodyguard. You know how it is when you watch the president and he's got all his secret service agents and they're kind of directing him and telling him, don't go this way, go this way. They're protecting him. They're watching over to make sure nothing happens to him. The Bible says that when we seek out wisdom, we walk in the fear of the Lord, that is what God does for us. That when we walk in the fear of the Lord, our personal bodyguard, God. Now, let me just tell you, Last time I preach here, every time I preach here, they give me a bodyguard, right? They give me a guy who comes and says, hey, man, I'm going to be walking with you. Just make sure you're good. Now, I don't really need a bodyguard. I mean, I'm not that popular. Nobody has ever tried to horn me here. <clears throat> now, the last time I came, the guy they gave me was a pretty small fella. I got to be honest, I didn't feel very safe. In fact, when I left last time, I told Pastor Sean, I said, hey, listen, That guy's too small. He couldn't take out anybody. But what I found out later was he was small, but he he was a trained fighter and he could take out all of us. But I was very thankful when I showed up today. They gave me some beef this time, baby. All right. I feel safe. Don't mess with me. I'm telling you, I'm not going to tell you. Don't mess with me. They will take you out. The Bible says that God will be our personal bodyguard here. Here are the benefits of living in the fear of the Lord. When God is your bodyguard, number one, you walk with the presence of the Lord. You walk with the presence of the Lord. The Bible says he'll never leave you or forsake you. You don't have to look around going, where's my bodyguard, right? God is with you. But you not only have the presence of the Lord, you also have the power of the Lord. The Bible says, Paul said, in my weakness, he is made strong. The power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and in you. You have the presence of the Lord. You have the power of the Lord and you have the protection of the Lord because the Bible says that God will fight your battles. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know this. You need the presence of the Lord. You need the protection of the Lord and you need the power of the Lord. And it begins with seeking wisdom and walking in the fear of the Lord. We desperately need the fear of the Lord in our homes, in our families, in our nation. But can I tell you, we need it in our churches. We need the wisdom of God and the fear of the Lord right here in our churches. I want to pray. I want to pray. So here's, here's what you need to know. The fear of the Lord, having an understanding of the fear of the Lord, receiving the fear of the Lord is really less about information and it is more about impartation. I can't tell you if you do this, this and this, you're going to. It's more about just opening yourself up and letting the Lord walk with you into wisdom and into the fear of the Lord. Would you bow your heads right now? Would you do me a favor if you want? to walk in a healthy fear of the Lord, would you just open your hands like you want to receive something? You just put them right there at your side. You're just wanting to receive something from God today. Father, today we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is truth 
and your word is life to us. God, today as we study wisdom, as we study the fear of the Lord that you said was the beginning of wisdom, God, we don't want to miss out on what you have for us. God, today with our hands open, we're saying, God, please impart to us an understanding of what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. God, that as we begin to study wisdom, as we begin to pursue wisdom, Lord, we pray that you would impart to us the fear of the Lord. God, I pray that we would be mindful daily, Lord, to not live a casual relationship with you, but Lord, to walk in fear of you, a healthy fear of you, simply a reverence of you and awe of you. And God, an understanding that you're our father, but one day you will also be our judge. Father, today I pray, impart wisdom, impart the fear of the Lord, and let it be to our benefit. In Christ's name we pray. Would you keep your heads bowed? Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Maybe when we talk about the beginning of your faith, you're here today and you said, I really can't go back to a beginning point of my faith. I don't know that I've ever really made Jesus the Lord of my life. I don't know that I've ever really turned over the steering wheel of my life to him and given him control. If that's you today, you don't have to leave here without making Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus asked Jesus, what must I do to get to heaven? And Jesus said this. He could have said a whole lot of things. Maybe you're here today. And when you think about your right standing with God, you would say, well, I was christened as a child or I've been baptized or, or I give money to the church or I help the poor. I'm a good person. Listen, Jesus could have said any of those, but he didn't say any of those. What he said was this, that if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. What does that mean? Well, my, my earthly birthday is February 6th or February 17th, 1966. When I was seven years old, I raised my hand in a service just like this to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I've had good days since then. I've had bad days since then, but I've never been the same. And being born again is simply asking Christ into your heart, making him the Lord and savior of your life. It's really as easy as ABC. A, you just admit that you're a sinner in need of a savior. B, you believe that he's the son of God and he was raised from the dead and that he came to be a payment for your sin so that you didn't have to die with your sin. And then C, you confess him as Lord. If you're here today and you say, I really want to pray that prayer. I want you to pray with me to receive Christ. In just a moment, when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. By raising your hand today, you're simply saying, I believe that Christ is who he said he was, and I want him to be the savior of my life. One, listen, don't worry about who's here, what this person thinks or that person thinks. What matters most is not what they think about you, but what God thinks about you. And God wants a relationship with you. Two, 
God forbid, but any one of us could leave this auditorium and be snatched into eternity to stand before God to give an account for our lives. My question for you today is this. Would you be ready if you stood before God today? Really, the better question is, do you want to be ready? Because you can. Are you ready now? Three, I want you to lift your hand so I can pray with you today. If you want to make Christ your Lord and Savior, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. In the balcony, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. In the back, I see you. Yes, thank you. I want to pray a prayer. And I want to ask you, each one of you to, that raised your hands to repeat this prayer after me. Listen, there's no magic in the prayer. I'm simply praying a prayer to help you articulate what God is doing inside of you. And I'm going to ask every believer in this room to pray in support of these that lifted their hands today. Can we pray together? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all of my heart. No matter what it costs me, I declare that God is my father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.